Welcome, everyone. I'm Tony Lavorna, and this is Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore. It's a cold night here in Pennsylvania, and some would say that the weather could chill you like the bone. Well, just like this weather, so can the tales from the regions of this place. This evening, I will be stepping through the history of Barbara Davison, also known as the Headless Pig Lady of Camelton Road. Is there something that you need to communicate to us? You see, you hear the words, help me. This podcast is made possible by the Social Voice Project. Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast explores the history and tales of ghost stories, mysterious crimes, murders, UFOs, witchcraft, and other occult happenings still thriving in the greater Ohio Valley region of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and beyond. Thank you, so you very much. Thank you for your perseverance. You know, <laughs> we like to we like to sing and play, so we were glad to be here, even if you weren't. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we want to thank the Foster family, East of Enon, for providing entertainment. We're going to get started with our program today. Now, the Pig Lady Festival, the first one we did a couple years ago was basically the, the legend of the pig lady and everything on, uh, that went on with that. We've switched it up this year a little bit. Tony Lavornia is going to recap the pig lady legend, but Brian Seach, another local researcher, is going to recap the big UFO chase from the, from the 60s that went from like Ohio clear into Baden. So personally, I have a story which I didn't even remember until we started doing this. So I was born and raised on Norwood Drive up by Grandview Cemetery. This would have been, I'm 61, this probably would have been 50 years ago. I was probably 11. So my mom decided she was going to go to the store, which was West Mayfield Dairy Store. She was going to go there. And it was probably eh, 6, 7 o'clock in the evening during the winter. And nobody would go with her. So she went to the store and she came home and I could tell there was something wrong. We all could. And she told us this story, and it, it, it's really strange, but, I mean, she was scared. So she went down the hill, and if you've ever been to Grandview Cemetery, there's a small patch of grass before you go up the hill into the cemetery. She told us that when she went there, 
there was something landed in that small patch of grass. She didn't know what it was. It, it was lit up. And her car started to stall out as she went by. It scared her. It scared her a lot. So she went as fast as she could down the hill. She went to the dairy store, got her stuff. She came all the way around on 18 through Homewood to get home. That's how scared she was. What she saw, I have no idea. But I, I had never seen my mother afraid. And she was afraid. So many of us have seen things that we don't know what they are in the sky. Are they aliens? Who knows? Flying objects? We don't know. So we're going to rely on uh, Tony Lavornia and Brian Seach to give us some insight on some things. And it's my pleasure. Tony's going to come up here and start us off. Tony, you out there? You're not out here alone. Don't worry. So before Tony gets started, I want to remind everybody we've got a lot of food from a lot of the organizations out here. We've got some great sellers of books and different items out there. Please, please look at their items. They were happy enough to come here, and it's cold, and, and everybody you know is sitting. Uh, we've got a, Tony's got books for sale. Uh, Mike's got books for sale. There's quite a few other books and information for sale. So check out our vendors. Also, tomorrow the Lions Club is have Pumpkin Palooza. There's going to be games and pumpkin races, and they'll have food and different things. So make sure to support the Lions Club tomorrow as they donate quite a bit of money to charity. So Tony's going to start at 7. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to ask you, has anybody else had, a, had a, an experience with an object or a, a flying saucer or something they didn't know what it was? I mean, I know many people have. Anybody out there have a story they want to tell? I can tell you a secondhand story. A friend of mine was working at Shippenport. You know, that was under construction for many years. And he always came home to Chippewa on, on uh, Route 60 then and got off and went 51. And he was traveling along there, goes past where the new car dealer is now and down that little grate. And as he came back up the other side, his car shut off. He saw this light come down right in front of him. He swears up and down, and he tells that story over and over again. And basically nobody believes him, but for, he is so convinced of it that I, I happen to believe what he says, you know. But uh, he said uh, he, he watched this thing come down. It hovered. He said it touched down on the ground and then went back up. His lights came on in his car. He was able to start, and he went on his way. But uh, that was probably in the 80s that that happened, but that was right there in Chippewa. So my grandparents lived in Eastvale, and many of you know where Eastvale is across from Beaver Falls, right along the Beaver River. And for years, they used to tell us stories. And I mean, you're, they're your grandparents. You have to listen to them, of course. And they used to tell us stories that they would see what they thought were planes following the river. But the planes never made any noise or any sounds. So... We always said it was, it was, you know, our grandparents flying saucers, of course, but who knows? I mean, they were seeing something. Well, what it was, we don't know. And there's been a history of, of sightings of things like that in Beaver County for years. Everybody, you know, as Dave said, his friend believes it. My mom truly believed that she saw something. I can't say she did or not. I mean, I don't know. But people have seen things. So hopefully uh, Tony and, and Brian will give us a little more insight on their research into things. And I know Tony's going to talk about the pig lady for sure. And Tony, are you going to mention Charlie No-Face since we're right on 351? Uh, yeah, first time. 
Yeah. And many of you know Charlie No-Face that used to walk 351. Um, the, the legend of the Green Man, as they call him, is far and wide. It's not just Beaver County. There are people in Allegheny County and Washington County and everywhere that know that legend. How Ray Robinson's story got from Beaver County to these other communities, we don't know. I don't know if Tony's ever even found out how it, how it made it so far. So you have a theory. Tony has a theory. Okay, maybe we'll hear the theory. Uh, we almost ready, Kev? Okay. We're going to turn this all over to, um, I, I, I like to call him my friend, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, but this is my friend, Tony Lavornia. Hi, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for coming out tonight. We do appreciate your support. Um, it's a wonderful community, a lot of wonderful people that I've met throughout the years and some of the investigations and things that I've done. So I know we only have about an hour, and I know that sounds like that's a whole lot of time, but um, actually when you're up here and you're talking and you're having a little bit of fun and enjoyment with these tales that we talk about, the time goes quick. So if I seem like I'm speeding things up or slowing things down, I apologize, but I'm trying to adhere to our schedule because we have a lot of wonderful things tonight. We have Brian here. He's going to talk about UFOs. Brian Siege, he's from Q Center of Unexplained Events, and he's going to tell you about a wonderful case tonight. And we have a, I believe we have a movie for you tonight as well uh, from Small Town Monsters. So we're going to, we have a lot to cover. So this is a really good event tonight, and thank you again. So real quick, I'm Tony Lavorna, and for 30 years, folks, I've been looking into what you probably refer to as the unexplained or the supernatural, okay? And I think that's probably a little bit different to all of us, but um, I like to primarily think of myself as a folklorist. I'm very interested in folklore and things of that nature. So I'm going to give you a little introduction and then uh, as, uh, as my friend, Dave, told you, we'll, we'll go over the pig lady tale a little bit. And I have some other tales and things I can tell you, too, once we, once we uh, move along in tonight's uh, program. So here in Pennsylvania, there's a long history of belief in both the supernatural folklore and legends. Although Pennsylvania has historically been recognized for its industry, technology, and culture, it has been a center or melting pot for a diverse base of people. And these people who came here with different religious, ethnic, and folk traditions. As the folk tales of these individuals slowly blended together, it would serve to create new tales. In this manner, it would create a feeling of community in this new world for the people. Not only perhaps could these tales provide a sense of stability for the newcomers, it too could be argued that these tales offer something else. These tales could serve as a moral reminder or serve as a dire warning in other cases. The tales could also record a tragic set of events or perhaps even commemorate in an event for a person or a people in the community that otherwise would not be acknowledged until finally these folk legends became a non-traditional part of the history in this region. Now, folk tales have become a part of the tapestry of our collective non-traditional history. These tales have grown more diverse over time. Each generation experiences 
and adds to these amazing tales. You probably heard these tales while we were all growing up. Perhaps you were asked by friends back in the high school days to be a part of a group who were driving through Green Man's Tunnel. Or perhaps you heard the story of the ghost bomber that crashed in the Monongahela River, never to be recovered. Or some strange creature that lurks somewhere in the woods just waiting to pounce. Although these stories were different, they somehow would always defy one's belief. So how do you define this type of tale? Well, a folk tale could somewhat be defined as a story or tale that defies belief and is based in part on circumstances beyond the scope of our conventional reality. Or in other words, a story so fantastic that it cannot be defined, categorized, or even validated with traditional academic methods. So with this in mind, let's talk about some of these wonderfully frightening tales as we approach Halloween. The Pig Lady of Candleton. Barbara Davison's story begins around the start of the American Revolution. She was born in South Carolina in 1777 and was the daughter of a rice planter, Samuel McCaskey. When the British invaded, the family was forced off their property, after which they relocated in Darlington Township, which is Beaver County, Pennsylvania, as we know. Barbara, like most, grew up taking care of the family farm, performing chores. She was likely to visit some neighbors who met her. Barbara would go out tending livestock around the farm, mostly her pigs and chickens. She was said to have a beautiful singing voice and musical talent. Many young suitors were attracted to her beauty. She would give her heart, though, to Nathan Davidson, an Army veteran. As Davidson was from Virginia, the couple moved there. Now, we don't know what happened to the marriage. However, there was a falling out by the year 1794. Barbara would return home to her parents' farm, and it would go back to normal living. It would be in the summer of 1795 that her family would make a routine trip to Pittsburgh to purchase some livestock for the farm. Barbara stayed behind to tend to the farm. Little did Samuel and Cora, her parents, realize that it would be the last time they would see their beautiful daughter's smiling face. Upon the family's return, Barbara was nowhere to be found. They searched for hours. In fact, several hours had elapsed. Something was regrettably wrong. Regrettably, they would find her contorted, headless body stuffed under the crawl space of the family house. Despite the best efforts, the authorities were never able to find poor Barbara's killer. Her death shattered the peace and tranquility of her small town community. But this is not the end of our story. According to the dozens of witnesses that practically spanned over 200 years, Barbara Davison's restless ghost 
is seeking some type of retribution for her killer. Frequently, local reports that her shape first formed slowly out of a column of mist or fog, gradually taking the shape of a headless body. The ghost would walk the woods surrounding her old home on the grounds of the cemetery where she was buried. Those who would see her insist that the apparition moves like a young woman, her arms even stroking hair on a head that is no longer present. On some occasions, the ghost has been heard even sobbing, whether the apparition is visible or not to the eye. The story of the ghost was so well known that in 1935, the financially struggling Nagley Traction Company tried to use the legend to make a little extra fare money for their operating system. It offered a tour called Barbara Davison's Midnight Excursion. They would charge a whopping 50 cents ahead to ride the trolley all the way out to the graveyard and past some of the locations where the ghost allegedly appeared. 43 people participated in the tour, and in one particular night, they were not disappointed. The trolley would arrive in the evening and parked for several hours, while passengers anxiously would look around for any sign of Barbara's spirit. After some time, her headless apparition began to form all of the mist and move across the property towards the then Fennel House. It came so close to the trolley that it convinced passengers that it was not a trick perpetrated by the company, and many could hear her sobbing and cries in the distance. The ghost was visible for almost 15 minutes' time, and after the trip, everyone on board was convinced that something strange had really happened. Barbara's head was never found. There has always been speculation, ladies and gentlemen, of its fate. Some people believe that it may have been thrown in some type of old mine shaft or on the hillside above Kent. Over the years, there have been many reports of ghostly head emergings from the mine's entrance at night and frightening those who travel down the road at a late hour. At one point, a man recounted a tale that there was a story by none other than Ira Mansfield in the book Recollections of Life Along the Little Beaver Creek. It happened late one night when a man, Dick Gray, was bringing a wagon full of freshly picked apples down a hill. Gray was proceeding slowly down the dark road, and only one kerosene lamp and a little moonlight to guide him as he passed the mine shaft. Soon he was startled by a ball of light that emerged in the street directly before his wagon. The glowing shape seemed to attach itself to the lead horse, spooking the animal. As Gray realized the light actually had long dangling flowing hair. Its head turned and faced him. 
He was terrified by his burning red eyes. In the state of panic, he whipped his horse so that they could escape. The ghost's head tormented the horse and wagon as it sped recklessly down the road. Apples flying from the cart at every bump. The horses did not stop until they reached the bank of the Little Beaver River. The spectacle head finally abandoned the poor horse and disappeared in the direction of the mine. He never took the road again at night, needless to say. The strangest part of the legend of Barbara Davison is the alleged manifestation of her ghost with the head of a pig in its place of her missing human head. One gentleman believes that this is part of the legend probably emerged in the 20th century as teenagers when looking for the ghost came up with a story. Stories are told of young people seeking a strange woman in the distance, but when they approach she turns and reveals the grinning face of a pig sometimes. The apparition is accompanied by a grunting sound as a pig might make. The pig lady has been spotted all around the Kendallton area, including the wooden footbridge over the north fork of the Little Beaver River. It's referred commonly as the Hippie Bridge. One may postulate that Barbara would tend to livestock such as the pigs or the farms. Perhaps that is why she replaced her head with that of a pig. Eventually, as she encountered perhaps other severed heads or slaughtered heads, and it was that that she used, we're not sure. The story of the pig head has become so popular that Barbara's ghost is often referred to only and simply as the pig lady. Now, the pig lady has not slowed in recent years. In fact, a recent community effort may really have actually increased the number of encounters, and some of you can thank yourselves for that as well. In 2010, I believe, the Little Beaver Creek Lions Club was looking to open a haunted house and hayride to help raise money for the blind and other people with disabilities. Mr. David O'Neill, the vice president at that time, based some of the events of the real story of Barbara Davison, and others transformed the barn along Kennelton Road and recreating the legend. So many of the volunteers while doing so sometimes said that some of their own experiences with Barbara's ghost while they were attempting to tell the story of the legend. We have many things that have gone on over time. Such was the case with Miss Madison McKeel, who has played the role of Barbara in recent years and other roles in the past. During her first year at the barn while alone in the room, depicted the murder scene. Madison turned to see the shape of a headless woman in a black dress. Frightened, she immediately went to another volunteer, but when she returned, the figure was gone. A more frightening experience occurred when she was crossing the field behind the barn. Numerous strange lights and shadow figures. At one particular evening, Madison was cutting through the field and was knocked to the ground. She fell to the ground and hit her head, briefly losing consciousness, it was said. When she came to, she realized that she was in a different part of the field, but with no explanation. Now, other volunteers at the site have also experienced things. Mara Rooney, 
Mara sees a strange fog follow other volunteers around the property. Moore and her friends also venture to the gravesite of Barbas late one night as her friends spread out with flashlights. Mara remains still and she felt something grab her. Those who come with her were too far away to have touched her. The group left and returned to the barn. When the light was shown on Mara's hip, it would appear that there was some type of uh, red mark, which was plainly visible. One volunteer saw her apparition materialize out of a campfire smoke. As he sat watching the fire, the mist and the smoke slowly gathered into the clearly identifiable form of a headless woman. The man could not believe what he was seeing, but things quickly became even stranger. A woman's voice in particular quietly emerged from the ghostly form. Allegedly it said, Tell them, Reno. The apparition then disappeared before the men's eyes. At first the man was unsure of what the ghost meant, Reno. Eventually, he decided that the apparition was really saying, perhaps a name. Now, there was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Oswald who'd done a lot of research for the school, Blackhawk School. He did quite a bit of background information on this. Now, Raynaud, folks, was a French name, and there was actually discovered that there was a half French and half Indian trapper by the name of Raynaud that was residing in the area at the time of Barbara's demise. The trapper had a bad reputation amongst the local farmers. So our question is, could it be, was Barbara Davison trying to identify her killer from beyond the grave? Ladies and gentlemen, that's the tale of the Pig Lady of Kendallman. For those of you who may not know or may not be aware, the Social Voice Project is a wonderful project. It, it gives a voice to so many people in so many communities. And Mr. Uh, Mr. Kevin Farkas, he works extremely hard making these stories come to life for folks like you to be able to listen to. And um, in any case, he gave me a wonderful opportunity to bring to you folks a podcast. And I call it, of course, the Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore Podcast. Uh, the reason why I bring you into that intro is on one of the episodes, I was able to take some colleagues, some friends of mine, uh, and they belong to a group that called themselves the O. P-I-T, and that stands for the Ohio Paranormal Investigation Team. And they are a team that have operated for over 17 years out of East Liverpool, Ohio. They were nice enough to volunteer their time, and we had a very special couple give us what I like to refer to as a very wonderful gift. This particular couple allowed us to travel to their property to investigate part of this legend after uh, the very first Pig Lady Festival that we had back in, I think I was 2019. So upon doing which, uh, they just asked if for 
protection uh, if we would keep them anonymous where they live, who they are. So, of course, I will absolutely honor that request as I do with all people that I work with in my investigations. And I had the ladies with me and we went to the property where Ms. Davison once lived. And what I have here is what I call my FP uh, reports. What it was, was my findings or our findings with those ladies that night on the property. And if it would be okay with you, I'd like to go over that with you because some of the information we found was interesting to say the least. Uh, in the first part of my notes, I always note the conditions that surround us. And that particular November night, 2019, was around approximately 7.30, uh, The weather conditions were bitter cold that night in the field. The team that I was with was made up of a few individuals. Uh, they are uh, Melissa Rhodes Hornbeck, who was the leader of the team. Melissa, how are you tonight? A little bit cold. Excited for doing this. I bet you are. So where are we going to go first? To the orchards? Is that where you intend to start tonight's investigation? Yes. Why don't you first introduce some of the team members and some of the special skills and devices you'll be incorporating in tonight's investigation here? This is Claudia Eskin, and she usually is in charge of our voice recordings, electronic voice phenomenons, EVPs, and things like that. We have Michael Netherland. He's our technical support. Anything that goes wrong, we go to Michael. We have Eddie. Eddie has brought with him an Ovilus, which is an electronic word database that spirits can use to manipulate and choose which words they want to speak. So we're hoping that will be very useful tonight. We have Michelle Stowers with us. Hello. She takes care of our video and our surveillance and she does the video reviews. Now, the people on the property had experienced, they said chills, had heard voices, and sometimes their animals were becoming alarmed for what they could determine as no ordinary reason. Myself that evening, in a personal note, I had a kind of an uneasy feeling about it. I don't know why. I can't explain to you. I do promise you, in 30 years of investigating, I have been in some crazy situations. So I've learned to listen to my gut, okay? And I did have an uneasy feeling that night. So we started um, to utilize the devices to record these short clips what usually happens at these investigations, um, to give you a mental picture in your mind, uh, you have people spread out, it's very dark, it's very cold that night, they have their apparatuses, and Melissa has taken it upon herself to give a series of what they call quick bursts, question and answer. I'm sure you've seen these on some of the programs um, where they attempt to reach out to the spirit by asking questions trying to contact Barbara. Hello, my name is Missy. I brought a group of people with me tonight. We have multiple things that you can use here to communicate with us. We are trying to make contact with Barbara. Are you here with us right now, Barbara? Barbara, there's been many people who believe they've seen your spirit around here. Is there something that you need to communicate to us? Barbara, do you wish to communicate with us? Now, about three minutes into the tape, there were a distinct set of words that, that came across one of the devices. You could distinctly hear the words, help me. Now, 
at that point also in that tape, you could hear rustling like leaves and wind and that. And I, I don't know if that had any correlation to what was being heard. I don't know. I'm just offering you part of the recap of what we found. Uh, Melissa then asked, do you need to communicate something with us? Okay, a couple seconds ago, we got a recording and we got a response. Definitely somebody is asking for help. Could you let me know, is this Barbara or is this somebody else? What Melissa is looking for are spikes actually on the phone itself. It shows and indicates whenever something is being picked up that may be inaudible to our human ear. Okay, everybody stand real still, please. Okay, a couple seconds ago, we got a recording and we got a response. Definitely somebody is asking for help. Could you let me know, is this Barbara or is this somebody else? There might be something there that we're hearing, but we're not sure. I'm here now, I think is the words that we're saying. I'm here now. Did you hear it? I'm here now. It sounds like a male though, doesn't it? So, are we looking for the ghost of Barbara Davison or perhaps her unknown killer? The words seem to say, I'm here now. Now, Melissa at this point looks at me, I look at her, you know, we do one of these, hmm, you know, type of things. Melissa asked, do you know who or if your killer is here? Let's directly ask if it would have been Renault. Hello, Barbara. It's us again. We're trying to figure out what happened to you, and we would love to see your killer be discovered. A lot of people think that your killer may have been a man named Renault. If it's that man, could you let us know just by saying yes or no? Did somebody just whisper? You heard no? I, heard I thought I heard no too. Mm -hmm. Did somebody say no? no Did one of you guys whisper right here behind us? Okay, well, me and Michelle both heard that, so let's see if we caught it. I thought I heard I don't know. And she heard the no part, so we'll see what happened. A lot of people think that your killer may have been a man named Reno. If it's that man, could you let us know just by saying yes or no? Well, the mystery would deepen, it would seem. So this will need to redo in a quieter environment. Absolutely. We have to kill some of the background noise and some of the people whispering as well. I don't know. It's kind of like that. Is that how you heard it? Like, a, I don't know. Does that sound like a male? If it's that man, could you let us know just by saying yes or no? A lot of people think that your killer may have been a man named Reno. If it's that man, could you let us know just by saying yes or no? And we heard it. And then there again, a weird interference, a clicking starts to come across the device. At that point, there's nothing else. So we move to the third site. The third site being what I would consider the ground zero, the place where the alleged activity was supposed to happen of the murder. Okay. Now, there are some other words that also come across the thing. So I don't want you to think there was just one or two sets of words. Those words, if you'd like to hear them, were ceiling, freezing, rotten, and blind. Now, the part that I did find interesting is at that third place that we were at, again, came the text, I am here now. At this point, though, there was a debate on the EVP recording. Melissa felt the answer came back, I don't know. 
Claudia felt it came back and said, I am Renault. So this was on episode number 27 of Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast. So if you would like to listen to podcasts, they're absolutely free. They're 30-minute programs. I interview everybody from uh, MUFON to Ghost Hunters, you name it. It's on there for you. So in this particular case, I had to, of course, leave it as unsolved and unconclusive at this time. But I do hope to get out there to that property again. So we have no definitive answer on killed Barbara Davison. Perhaps that'll be a mystery for the ages, one of many in this rather interesting and lonely place in Pennsylvania. I would now like to turn the segment over, if I could, to Mr. Brian Seach from the Center of Unexplained Events. Uh, I always said that if I wanted someone to recap my life on TV, it would be Tony's voice. Don't you think? He's got an awesome voice. Uh, first, first, I'd like to thank uh, uh, John and uh, Gish for inviting us here and for all their hard, hard work, what they do. Uh, thanks to Kevin and the Social Voice Project and Tony and also David Halawiko. Can we give them a big hand? They work really hard, folks. Uh, I know I know the fact that these these events are very hard to put on. My wife Terry and I we co-promote the Butler Paranormal Conference up in uh, up in Butler and we've been doing this now for 13 years and it is not easy. It's not an easy job to get the speakers and the vendors in and uh, we do appreciate your hard work guys. Thank you very much. Uh, j- just a little bit about about our organizations. Uh, my wife uh, Terry and I, we formed our first organization, uh, Q, Center for Unexplained Events, in 1986. Uh, we also, in 2012, we incorporated another group, which is called the Center for Cryptozoological Studies. What we attempted to do there was bring all of our cryptid sightings under another group umbrella. Now, we both, my wife runs Q, which is Center for Unexplained Events, and I will say, not only is she my heart and soul, she's the heart and soul of both organizations, okay? She runs both organizations to a T. And uh, you're awesome, Terry. I know you're sitting over there. So can we give her a big hand? How she hasn't killed me now, I, I don't understand why. One of our anniversaries, we were out in the woods in Salt Fork in sub-freezing weather for our anniversary looking for Bigfoot. So who would do that, right? Um, they wanted me tonight to talk a little bit about the 1966 UFO chase from Ohio to Pennsylvania. Who's ever heard of that? Anybody? <laughs> One person, two people. Very famous case, actually. How many? I know most of you here have probably seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Really good movie. The chase scene in that movie was allegedly based on what actually happened here, which ended in Conway, Pennsylvania. So the story goes, it was about 5 a.m. on April 17, 1966, close to Randolph, uh, Ohio. Two police officers, uh, Officer uh, Dale Neff and uh, Wilbur Spower, were checking out a, a vehicle that was parked along the side of the road. So they pull over. William Neff gets out 
and he walks towards the, the vehicle and all of a sudden in the back of them they see this huge light this light rises from the tree goes over top of them and hovers he hurries up and gets back in the car and then this object just starts to to gently you know float away as if they said it was maybe about a hundred hundred fifty two hundred feet up high so it wasn't really that high so they they proceeded to follow this object they chased this object uh 86 miles from Ohio down into Chippewa and it and the chase ended in Conway Pennsylvania where if anyone is familiar with Conway there's a, a red cap cleaners there this is where the object eventually uh, stopped hovered and it shot straight up now what was interesting about the actual chase is when they were actually chasing this object they claim that this object would move fast and then it would slow down if it moved too far away from them they claimed it was almost like this craft was playing a game of cat and mouse, basically. And they followed this right around uh, uh, Chippewa. There was another uh, police officer, William Houston. He joined in the chase. So now you have uh, two police cars with uh, three officers chasing this object. So there was another police officer, Frank Panzanella, who was there. He came out from his break. He was finishing up his shift. He's standing. He sees this object. So then he hears the, the two police cars coming in and uh, the Nefton Spire police car comes in. The tires are balding. There's smoke coming from them and they're just about out of gas. They pull in. They talk with Panzanella. They point to the object and they see it. So now we have four police officers that have seen this object. Also, what later came out is a ridge above where these uh, where they were up in Conway. A fifth police officer, Henry Kwiatkowski, he pulled up to the vantage point that he was he was able to oversee the valley. He saw it. So now you have five eyewitnesses, five police officers, okay? Five very good eyewitnesses who saw this craft. What did they see? To this day, we don't know. What happened one month later in the Columbiana County Courthouse, uh, Hector Quintanella, who was the uh, uh, in charge of Project Blue Book at the time, he met with Spower and Neff. What proceeded was a one-hour, very terse interview as he questioned the two officers. The conclusion that uh, uh, Major Quintanella said that it was, at first they saw a satellite, and then they chased Venus for 75-some miles. <laughs> Sorry, I don't believe that one for a second, folks. As, as anyone who studied UFOlogy, like my wife and I, we were both actually members of uh, uh, MUFON. We were uh, field investigators from MUFON. Project Blue Book was basically a debunking device by the government. There was over, I think, I believe 10,000 cases, but there were, I believe, about 600 some that were unexplained. So a lot of you now have been seeing, and I'm sure you've seen uh, some of the disclosures, some of these Tic Tac UFOs they've been seeing. Who's, who's seen that on TV? Anyone? The USS Nimitz, they had this, uh, they saw this tic-tac-like object that was like a, a black object. The two F-18s followed this, this craft, and they got fantastic video of this craft from their, uh, from their gun camera. And there was recently a disclosure about that, and they basically said almost what Project Blue Book said. Uh, they call them now UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, not UFOs or Flying Saucers, which they did back in the time. So they did say that uh, a lot of them are mistaken identity, some are birds, uh, typical government, uh, how do you say it, disinformation. But there is one category in all the categories 
it says other, okay? And it says possibly extraterrestrial. The truth here could be hidden in that other bin. I think there's a shade of gray in what the government does. They could say, well, we never said it was extraterrestrial, but we didn't say it wasn't. You see how the government works? We all know how the government works, right? And that's for any uh, agents in the audience. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, we saw an object in 1997, two triangular craft over Hopo, uh, Pennsylvania, where we lived most of our lives. I've lived in Beaver County for 50, almost 56 years. UFOs have been a, a fixture here in Beaver County. You know, we do live close to the uh, uh, Pittsburgh airport. There was allegedly a, and I'm trying to find out some information, so this could all be hearsay, of an alleged crash somewhere near uh, around Moon, which is uh, right up where the old airport was. Somebody that I know said that they know somebody who allegedly saw this thing go down by their property and they were visited by two men in black. Now, again, do we know if that's that's the truth? This eyewitness, I asked my friend, could you get, of course, no, and that person isn't talking. We've heard it over and over and over again. So do I think that there's something out there as far as UFOs? I do. I don't know if they're extraterrestrial. I would bet most of them are some of what we have, and uh, perhaps even some of these Tic Tac objects are. They want to throw so much at you on the internet or on TV that you actually don't know what to believe, to be honest with you. And it's actually, I hate to say this, actually a smart tactic because it's working, isn't it? How many in here think that they, they could be extraterrestrials? Come on, there's more of you than that. Clap. We, I can't see you, so. <laughs> Again, I, I would like to state, I believe that, that most of them are probably ours. Okay, and there's a lot of misidentifications out there on uh, what some of these are. There was a UFO in 1957 over the uh, shipping port atomic plant. When that plant went up, 1970, I believe, is when it went up. There was uh, a, lot, a lot more UFO sightings around the valley. Has anyone here ever seen one? Yeah, go ahead and say, yeah, I can't see you. Yeah. <laughs> now, also... Um, one of the new projects that we're doing, it's called LAE, Light Anomaly Exploration. We are starting a study through use of some frequencies on what uh, we call them light spheres. Some of you call them orbs, globes. We started this phenomena because we, we, are re we are Bigfoot researchers, too, at heart. That's our basic, you know, we, whether it's Bigfoot, which we've had one, a sighting here in Darlington, Dogman, which sighting from here in Darlington, believe it or not. That's your option to believe it or not. We talked to the eyewitness. A gargoyle-type creature up in Chikora. So there are a lot of creatures and a lot of different things that, that happen here. So we started to research these balls of light because these, these Bigfoot researchers were saying, you know what, I was in an area of activity. All of a sudden, I see these white, yellow, sometimes red spheres of light going in and out of the woods when we're actually out looking for Bigfoot or whether we're hiking or whether we're out at night. There's more people talking about them. You know, are they related to Bigfoot? I really don't know. How many here believe in Bigfoot? Anybody? Anybody ever see one? Did you hear one? Where at? In Wampum? Anybody else? Near the uh, The BFRO has on their website, the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, has a Bigfoot sighting from those mines. So you can look that up on the uh, internet. Uh, just type in BFRO and Beaver County. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else see anything else strange, anything winged, anything uh, giant birds, mountain lions? 
RPA Game Commission states there are no mountain lions in Pennsylvania. They're all escaped pets. Okay, we've, my son and I investigated a sighting, I think it was back in early 2000s around Rochester. We also had a, actually a Black Panther sighting in Rochester. There's a lot of strange things out there, folks. I can't tell you that, that everything's real. I, I can't. What I can tell you is the eyewitnesses that we've talked to, we, I kind of say, I believe that they believe what they saw. Some of these things don't make any sense. They don't. Uh, giant wolves, giant apes, giant winged, winged entity, they don't make sense. As far as with uh, the subject of Bigfoot, there are prints. Bigfoot leaves prints. It's been cited. In 1973, a good case here, it was in industry, that there was uh, two girls waiting uh, to get picked up. It was in the evening, and they see this white creature emerge from the woods, and it was holding a a white luminescent sphere in its hand. They ran and told their father. Their father went into the woods after this thing, and he didn't return for an hour later. And they said he was a changed person when he returned from those woods. They said he was talking about the end of the world prophecies and he warned his daughters never to go into those woods again. And ironically, just before those girls had that sighting, someone had reported a UFO shining a light into the woods close to that area. So is there a connection? I don't know. We have a friend, uh, Dan Hegman from Butler, from Boru. He actually sponsors the Butler Paranormal Conference. He had a sighting up in Butler where there were some lights in the sky and this farmer goes out to his barn. He hears rustling in the barn. He goes out to the barn and he comes face to face with, he said, look like a giant ape. He had his uh, shotgun with him. He shot it point blank and he said this thing screamed and the, and the farmer threw the gun down and ran into the house and locked the doors and did not come out until early the next morning. Again, like, like what Tony was talking about some of his ghost tales, is this a case of mistaken identity? I mean, could it? Could this many people be seeing all these weird things? I, I just, it just doesn't make sense to me that people are hearing these, hearing these creatures, seeing these creatures, finding footprints, finding things, uh, finding big branches twisted, torn. And I know nature can do a lot of those things too that I talked about. But when you, when you talk to any of these eyewitnesses, and Tony has, and uh, any researcher, if you talk to them, look at their eyes. They're trying to re reconnect to an event that happened years ago, and it still frightens them. In 1970, there was a, a sighting we, at uh, Brady's Run Park. It was right after a storm. Actually, was, there was a tornado at the time in Manaka. And these two eyewitnesses had their horses. They went under the, there was the pavilion there. They went under the pavilion. Once the storm passed, they get on their horses. They start riding up this trail off of Ackertown Road. And they see movement on the left side of their, their eye. And this creature gets up, about a six-foot-tall creature, puts its hands to its side and growls at them. Now, I actually have a drawing of that over at our table. And uh, once we're done with this presentation, please come over and look, look at some of the drawings before we leave. We do want to hear any sightings that you guys have. And it's, all, and it's confidential. We don't, like Tony says, if, uh, if Kevin says, hey, I saw a, a winged entity on my porch, we're not going to say... Kevin Farkas saw a winged entity on our porch. <laughs> we, we will tell his sighting. We will not give the exact location because we don't want people coming to, other than us, <laughs> people coming to his house saying, hey, is this where that gargoyle was? No, we don't, we don't do that. But we feel it's important to get Kevin's sighting out there, that 
hey, he saw something. An everyday normal person saw something that's not supposed to be there. And this is what our organization is, is about. We, we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to learn from you. It's, we learn every day, although we've been studying these phenomena since, since 86. Um, we learn something new every day. We really do. And never stop learning whatever your, whatever your passion is. Never stop learning. Give it your all. That's what we do. What were some of the other cases? Anybody want to hear about any other different cases or uh, if you want to say something and we can talk about it? Some of the other Bigfoot cases, we, ha we have had sightings at uh, both parks, Raccoon Creek State Park. There was a sighting there. Allegedly, there are some sightings by, that, by the dam area, across in the dam area. 1973 was a huge wave of UFO and Bigfoot sightings across Pennsylvania. And we had one at the uh, Knobview Estates. And I, I had met this man. Obviously, I, was only, I would have only been eight, so I wasn't researching then. But I met this man at uh, L.L. Bean, where, we, where I used to work. And we did a little thing in the morning where you would step up and say something about yourself. So I said, well, you know, I'm a researcher. We research strange animals. And this big guy worked with me. And I'm not going to obviously give his name. But he stopped, and he had this look in his eye. So after the meeting, he comes up and he says, I know what you're talking about. He says, I saw that in 1973. And, and this, this man was a big man. And all of a sudden he grabbed his both arms and he went like this. He went, he was shaking. He was actually physically shaking. He had goosebumps up and down his arm. He was shaking. Basically what happened, he was, it was at night, probably about like 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. And he was playing with his toys and he sees movement by the window. So he looks at the, at the window. What happened is he saw movement. He saw a, a creature come by his window. He said, it stopped, turned and looked at him. And he says, when it saw me, it looked surprised. And he said, then the eyes went red. You mean the eyes were red as it was walking? He says, no. He said, it turned and looked at me. Then the eyes went red. So in a lot of these cases in Bigfoot, you will have at night, obviously red eyes, white eyes, yellow eyes. People report this. Uh, people report it. It's a creature about seven to eight foot tall, weighs about 500 pounds and looks like an ape. Now, everybody's heard of Bigfoot. People are thinking, hey, what, in Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania is probably about the sixth state, according to the BFRO, for number of Bigfoot sightings. And um, Ohio is even more. It's one, it's maybe third or fourth. But a lot of that, as far as Ohio is, there's triple the number of researchers in Ohio. Ohio is the, the Bigfoot capital of the East. How many of you have heard of Salt Fork? Salt Fork State Park? Yeah, I heard my wife say, yeah. That's where we were at anniversary freezing that one night, yes. Um, a lot of that started, a gentleman by the name of Don Keating. He, he was a longtime uh, Bigfoot researcher out of Coshocton, Ohio. Do any of you remember Monster Quest? The series Monster Quest, still to me, still the gold standard. Still the gold standard as far as presenting information and uh, trying to get the, the real truth out. Unlike finding Bigfoot, you know, you know, Bobo-like ice cream, he knocks on the door, you know. It's, it's a lot, it was a lot realer. Well, they investigated Salt Fork. They had one of the first drones back then, and this was years back. And it had a camera, and they went, they went over Salt Fork looking for Bigfoot. Uh, after that show all the Bigfoot researchers start flocking to Salt Fork. Now they have a, uh, a conference there every year. It's huge. It's, they get five or 600 people there just for a Bigfoot conference. Uh, I know most, a lot of you were real close 
Beaver Creek, right? Beaver Creek State Park, my favorite place to do Bigfoot research. We've been researching down there for about 12 or 13 years. We didn't get down there last year because of COVID. We wanted to camp down there. We've had about four or five campouts down there, close to where Gretchen's, Gretchen's Lock. Um, and we've heard some really weird things. We did hear in 2014, my wife and I and Dave and Carrie Rupert, we were up at the, uh, the family campground and we were doing a, a little Halloween thing for the kids. And it was over. We took all the kids in the woods uh, for a walk, like a scary walk for them. And it's about one o'clock. We started to go to our tents and we heard this one loud, long howl. And you can hear this howl. It's called the Ohio howl. It's like a one, it's a long drawn out howl. Has anyone ever heard that? No, uh, definitely, you know, go on the BFRO website underneath uh, Bigfoot Calls and Ohio How. We were actually, my wife and I were actually on that, that very property where that was taken. This was about four or five years after that was taken. And not many people know this, but there was actually a alleged Bigfoot film there. And we have, we have a copy of that tape, a pretty degraded copy of that tape. But what it shows is basically this gentleman... He had bait hanging from a tree. The trees here, bait was hanging here. Now, in this is this is recording. He's recording and seeing seeing it in his house, and he played it back. Well, where the tree was, this head comes out like this, starts sniffing the air, and then it went it went back like this, and the hand went back like this. The movements were so how can they were so natural that. I just think it's, it would be hard to fake those movements. You would have to see the video. And, and the face, face was white because he had an IR light. And that's why his face and his, his hand showed white. Um, was it a Bigfoot? Now, I know he's claimed he's had other sightings around that property. We haven't been back there in years. I mean, we, I, I do, I do want to make another trip out to check out his area. Now, that's in Wellsville, Ohio, which is very close to uh, Beaver Creek State Park. It seems like a lot of these creatures do... They do go around a lot to the state parks. Now, some people say, why would they do that? Well, especially like in, in Beaver Creek, they say that they, at, in the dead of night, they'll go into the dump, the garbage dumpsters there and look for food. Isn't, uh, it, cheap, isn't it cheap camping there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it is a really nice campground. Um, <laughs> taking advantage of the deal, is that what you're That's right, that's right. But if you're ever at Beaver Creek, I remember we stayed at that campground one morning and it was just, just breaking daylight. And I'm like, there's, there was a field next to the where we were. We were all the way in the back part. I says, I want I just want to go check it out. So I checked it out. I walked on and it was just getting daylight. Now I go over this little ridge and something standing in the field. And I says, oh my. And it was a cow. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you, my heart was beating. And I'm like, I want to see this, but this is a little too close. And then you're moo. And I'm like, oh, okay. You, big feet, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you would all have been scared too. It just just the way it was, you would have been scared. That's that is excellent. Well, at this point, I to move along. I, I don't want to cut you short. No, I want to thank everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I want to thank everybody too. Um, I wanted also to hold open this up for a moment. I don't know how much time are we still good as far as okay, okay. You want to introduce Heather? Okay, Dave. Ladies thank and gentlemen, you. thank you again very much. Stop over at the table if you get a okay, chance. If, if, uh, if I could have Heather Mosier come up. So Heather is going to talk about the movie we're going to show. It's called Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. 
Uh, we're going to ha- let Heather explain the movie, and then we're going to take about a 15-minute break to get everything set up. And I'd like you to visit our vendors, and if you're cold, get something to drink and, and get some food or something. So here's Heather right now to talk about the movie. Hi. So I am a researcher for Small Town Monsters, if you're familiar with the film production company out of Wadsworth, Ohio. Tonight we're going to show Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, which we made in 2017. Um, It was the fifth film that we made. So it's actually just, we're about 15 films in now. So it's like the first third of our catalog. This focuses on the Chestnut Ridge, which most of you probably know is in Pennsylvania. Um, It is a film that is kind of unique to our catalog in the fact that it doesn't focus on a monster specifically like some of our other films like Bigfoot or Bell Witch, but rather focuses on an area that takes on the form of a monster. So you'll see, we'll talk about things like uh, Dogman sightings, Thunderbirds, Bigfoot, all kinds of odd phenomenon that happen at the Chestnut Ridge, but it is the area that's the monster, not a specific monster. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I hope you like it. Okay, we wanna give everybody a heads up. Like I said, we're gonna take about 15 minutes here to get our, our video set up and some things moved off the stage so you can see the movie. So check out the, the Lions Club food booths and there's some other food booths here. Remember, tomorrow the Lions are having Pumpkin Palooza. The Lions support some wonderful charities, uh, organizations. So if you could help them uh, raise some money, it would be greatly appreciated. We'll be back in 15 minutes, folks. If you like what you've heard, be sure to like, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a production of The Social Voice Project. This concludes our broadcast.